Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Beauty Talk for today, Sunday, September 16th. I'm your host, Janice Tunnell, and as always, I'm joined by my sister, Denise. Hello. And um, tonight, we are very excited about tonight's guest. But first, before we speak with her, we'd like to just remind you that the call-in number is 914-803-4399. Again, that number is 914-803-4399. 4399. You can also join us in the chat room where my sister Denise will be heading that up, or you can send your questions and also your comments to illusionsbeauty at gmail, and we'll get those on um, on the show as well. Um, our guest tonight served as Essence Magazine's groundbreaking beauty and cover director for 30 years. She influences all types of women with her vision of beauty and style. We like to welcome to Beauty Talk Miss Nikki Taylor. How are you, Nikki? Hi there. How are you? Hi, we're so happy to have you here with us tonight. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you so much. I'm honored to be your guest. Oh, wow, that's that's very nice to hear. <laughs> we're so excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's just start off tonight just by asking you, when and how did your journey in beauty begin? I think my journey in beauty really began at home. I was uh, so influenced by my mother. Uh, my mother was a makeup artist, hairstylist, and wardrobe stylist to uh, the late American icon, Sarah Vaughn. And oh, wow. uh, they were school girlfriends. And uh, when uh, Sarah became Sarah, so to speak, uh, she hired my mom, and they traveled the world together for like 10 years. And my mother... Uh, during her travels would bring back the most amazing magazines from Europe and certainly in the studio she created the most incredible album covers with Sarah Vaughn and you know that whole life I guess that's where I was first introduced to beauty and then certainly uh, after my mother came home from the road she opened her own beauty salon and then that observing that style fellowship that happened in the beauty parlor so to speak you know a girl Mm -hmm. couldn't help but be influenced and so yeah I started out um, certainly in modeling and uh, then went into beauty retail uh, and then into fashion and uh, so you know, hence my style beginnings. Wow. <laughs> so so growing up so growing up, did you you know, did you play in makeup, do your own hair? 
Oh my know, gosh, much, much to clothes. my yes, much to my mother's dismay. Yes, every time <laughs> she went out of the door on one of her long junkets to Europe, I would start to play. You know, in makeup, in fragrance, in hair, and everything. And you know, I'll tell you to this day, one of the things that still fascinates me is that my mother could buy Europe uh, makeup in Europe that looked like us in terms of women of color. And yet it wasn't available on these shores. You know, that still fascinates me to this day. But, yeah, she would bring back the most amazing finds, and I was always getting into trouble because it was quite expensive, and I had a field day with myself (laughs) and my dolls. (laughs) Like most of us, but, you know, products probably weren't as expensive, though, as your mother's finds from Europe. (laughs) Um, So talk a little bit about your start with Essence Well, I came to Essence in 1980 uh, And uh, the joke is that I was hired on the street And we laugh about that to this day But actually, uh, (laughs) then Associate Fashion Beauty Editor uh, Sandra Martin uh, told me about an opening at Essence, and I was certainly familiar with the Essence crew, both, you know, certainly from my days as a model and certainly mm-hmm. on uh, in my role on 7th Avenue um, with a little-known firm at the time known as Tahari Limited. Um, and so I went in and interviewed for the position with Susan Taylor, and I was hired. Uh, the interesting thing, I started out in fashion, uh, on, in, in terms of the with the Essence team, and at that time in 1980, African American women were getting uh, were entering the workforce in great number, but not getting the salaries of our Caucasian counterparts, if you will. And so mm-hmm. Essence um, regularly featured uh, fashion spreads at that time where, for women who sewed their own clothing. And using my background in both fashion and textiles and so forth, I would shop, one of my responsibilities was to shop the fabric market and the pattern houses and have them create clothing from the fabrics that I chose that women could create. Uh, Long story short, and my curious nature and poking my head into everything, uh, I became beauty editor. uh, And Susan Taylor went on to become editor-in-chief, and this was in 1981. And so that was really, I guess, the uh, stake in the ground for me for beauty and uh, the the joy of beginning to talk to African-American women about their beauty. Uh, and, And, you know, the interesting thing at that time the amount of products that really spoke directly to our needs and desires, you know, they could fit in the span of my two arms. So we had to be very creative, uh, you know, both women and certainly myself as an editor in trying to seek out those finds that would really um, simplify our lives and and really work for us and our various skin tones and our hair Mm -hmm. textures and so forth. Absolutely. I guess that brings us to the question, how do you feel about the state of the beauty industry today, um, and, and especially as it relates to African-American women? Well, I think cosmetic companies are calling us to play. You know, I'm seeing far more uh, pigment-rich hues and uh, textures and the kinds of uh, makeup that complements our skin tones because, you know, we, particularly with those what I call the next of skin products, we don't like artifice in terms of foundations and powders. 
when we want to play with color, we do want uh, products that are pigment-rich. So I think technology has gotten a lot better, and it is calling us to uh, express ourselves, if you will. I do think that there is huge room for uh, foundations, you know, that reach both the lighter spectrum of our hues as well as the deeper spectrum. Um, I think there's certainly room for uh, more target-specific products, better products, uh, for us in terms of hair care. I mean, we are huge consumers of hair care, and it still pains me when I go into, um, you know, mass stores, if you will, or drug stores, and I see what's known as the ethnic corner and how small it right. is uh, in relationship to our do the dollars that we spend in our needs. And I think that's still what causes us to shop at beauty and barber supply stores alongside professionals because we want the best, we deserve the best, and we certainly deserve uh, variety. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Let me just go back a little bit. Um, what were what your responsibilities at Essence as a beauty and cover editor? Well, as uh, beauty and cover director, my responsibility was certainly to uh, oversee the execution of the beauty pages uh, in terms of the products that we talked about, the stories that we uh, generated and delivered, the photography. Uh, so I was in the studio quite a bit, certainly writing quite a bit, assigning to my team quite a bit, um, you know, forging out the latest information, atten attending press events and, you know, interviewing experts all the time for the next, next, next uh, bit of news that would, uh, you know, inform our lives and inspire our, ourselves, inspire us as we celebrated our beauty. Uh, as cover director, it was um, my role to certainly work with our creative director and the team to uh, decide who was going to be on the Essence cover, uh, to come up with the concept for how they were going to look and the story that was going to accompany that uh, cover, uh, to hire the team that would execute the look that we were looking for, and then certainly uh, to work with editing the film and, you know, making sure that that cover really summed up the tone of the issue and celebrated not only who was on the cover, but, you know, African-American women or men everywhere. Now, I recently saw you on an episode of um, L.A. Hair. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, was, what was your involvement in that, in that, in that shoot? You well, know, I had, it was really to direct uh, a lookbook for gotcha. fashion designer Kevin Hall. And mm -hmm. certainly in working with Kim Kimball, uh, the star of the show, who I had worked with on various shoots, Kim Kimball is a uh, hairstylist to Beyonce and Mary J. Blige and, and uh, you know, various women of note, uh, to work with Kim Kimball to see that that Kevin Hall look uh, was captured and also to see that it really showcased what a phenomenal talent Kim Kimball is. So that was my role. Uh, I acted sort of like a creative director, if you will, on the show. Okay. Gotcha. For that segment. What, mm -hmm. and because, you, because you come across so many uh, makeup artists, wardrobe stylists, hair stylists, you and you and you were very familiar with Kim Kimball's her work. What is it that you look for um, in an artist or a stylist when you're trying to pull someone in to um, to capture exactly what Kevin was looking for? 
you know. Well, you know, I'm always, I, I guess it's sort of like a storyteller. And mm-hmm. I'm looking for the components of a story that I want to tell and the players who will help to tell it best. So it's not that I'm just looking for a great hairstylist or a great makeup artist, but I'm looking for the right hairstylist for that particular story or the right makeup artist for that particular story. Um, And I like it when people have a point of view. Uh, uh, And when I say that, I mean, like, for example, Sam Fine, he has a point of view about his makeup. He has a distinctive hand. Kim Kimball has a point of view about her hairstyling. She has a distinctive hand. Uh, So that's important to me. That's really important to me. And I really try to work with artists. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So speaking of... Of, of your years as a cover director, what was it like to say goodbye to that position after so long? Well, you know, you're the first person to ask me that question. And, uh, wow, I, you know, that's something I haven't really pondered because I have always worked on behalf of black women. So, Mm-hmm. Whatever level that I go to, I, I'm usually looking at it is how many women can I touch in this next role? And so right. in stepping into the role as editor-at-large, uh, certainly it freed me up to do more television. It freed me up to travel this country, you know, as a motivational speaker and talk to women about owning their lives and mastering their purpose with distinction. Uh, it freed me up to, to write uh, certainly my book. It freed me up to write the next projects on, that are on the horizon, to even create this nail polish line that um, that I'm finally satisfied with. And so it's it's always about filling a need when it comes to black women. That black women, I've dedicated my life to us. And so I never, I guess I never look at it as walking away from something more I look at it as what am I walking toward? What fulfillment is in what I'm walking toward? And and how can I reach women uh, in a greater way? Right. Now, speaking of black women, what's at the core of your passion for black women? I think we are phenomenal, and I don't want to see any of us live beneath uh, the joys that the elders had in mind uh, in what I call arrival time. And so I want to see us walk in their dreams. I want to see us have everything that they wanted for us and more. Uh, In truth, we work two to three times as hard for our psychic income, for that validation, for that feeling that says, yes, I'm worth it. Yes, I'm more than deserving of this. Yes, I deserve to be celebrated. And I want to I want to affirm that in us in every way I can, from the companies that I consult with, you know, that will create products for us, to those that I would develop, uh, will develop rather, to the stories I tell, to the you know, the conversations I have with black women as I move across this country. Yeah, I, I'm, if, if there's a message bearer, if they will, if you will, if there's a champion of black women, then count me in that lineup. Yes. Yeah, 
Um, just want to remind everyone that the call-in number for tonight is 914-803-4399. And if you have a question or comment, just uh, press the option to speak with the host, and we'll get you on. So tell us, Mickey. Oh, I'm sorry, did you have a question? Well, we um, from the chat room, Centaur was wanting to hear a little more about uh, Mickey's new documentary. Oh, yes. Ah, Versailles 73, American Runway Revolution. I am so thrilled to be a part of the cast and certainly to have been asked by uh, film director Deborah Riley Draper to bring this story to help bring this story to life. Uh, it is the story that needed to be told. And I always say that it's the second time that the Americans stormed France and won. And uh, it's just, uh, it, it is a phenomenal story. It looks at how several um, American designers, uh, from Oscar de la Renta and Bill Blass to uh, the to Halston, to that up-and-comer at the time, if you will, Stephen Burroughs, how they uh, went to France with a cabine of a number of black models and women of color and competed against the likes of Yves Saint Laurent and Givenchy and Emmanuel Ungaro, and they won. And it, it just... You know, against all odds, you know, the French had two and a half hours to show their clothing. They had Josephine Baker performing. They it was they had elaborate sets, and the American designers had amazing models and Liza Minnelli and women like Pat Cleveland and Billy Blair and Norma Jean Darden and Beth Ann Hardison who walked with such sass that. The French, you know, they were showing to jet setters and millionaires and icons and the likes of Grace Kelly and so forth. They threw their programs up in the air at the end of the show, at the end of the Americans' presentation, and, you know, they just lost it. And it just really says a lot about our sass and what's true to us, what's true of us, and certainly you know, what champions of style we are. So, you know, I'm in a part of the cast, certainly Harold Coda of the Met, uh, Stephen Burroughs. I mean, it's just um, it, it's an amazing cast who really is talking about, you know, a, a his, historic moment that really changed the course of fashion that took place like 40 years ago. Wow. We have a caller on the line. Um, I want to bring them in really quickly before we continue the conversation. Let's see. Hello? Hello? Hi. Hi, this is Viola. I Hello, Viola. You can hear me? Hi, Viola. Yeah, I can hear you. Hi, Mickey. Hi there. <laughs> I just want to give you so much love and respect, and you gave us 30 years of you. And you open oh, up doors for you. women like myself. And just want to thank you. You have you opened up so many opportunities for us. And I just want to thank you in your journey. And um, I just want to make a comment on when you made, you made a comment on point of view and a style and a technique when one of the, the hosts 
um, were referring to makeup artists and hairstylists, and you said point of view, and I'm taking that really in, and I never thought of it that way. Because wow. I'm working on the show, right, working on the show with Sam Fine called Another Fine Day. So when uh-huh. you mentioned point of view, that just hit home. I was like, <gasps> you know, the little things can make a big difference. That makes sense? Yes, indeed, and thank yeah, you so much yeah. for sharing that. Wow. Yeah. Well, congrats yeah. to you. No, congrats to you, and thank you. I mean, <laughs> and with you. the nail color, we need that. We need to see it. Um, um, it's for the other generation, so we really do. We really need to see it. We need to hear it, and I'm just ready for you to do a tour. <laughs> oh, thank you first. so much. Yeah, it, it's a need for it. It's a need for the class for you as well. And it's inspiring. So, you know, so much is going on in Chicago. And for Denise and Janice to bring this to us, it, it means a lot to women like myself. So I want to thank wow. them as well. Oh, you're welcome. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Great talking to you. Likewise. Bye-bye. Thank you, Viola. So, Mickey, what um, what inspired your nail collection? Well, you know, the line is built as a line of uh, directional nudes for women with mm-hmm. discerning taste. And I'll tell you what inspired me. I I guess it was kind of a selfish motive in that okay. I got tired of being disappointed about the nudes that were available to me uh, in store mm-hmm. that didn't work for our skin tones. They were either right. they skewed too pink or they were right. too chalky or too milky or the flesh tones that existed, they were not our flesh for our flesh tones. And so, yeah, I said, okay, well, let me just create what I think women of color should have. And so we've come up with... Um, you know, I came up with six what I think very directional nudes from those which are really soft and warm to to that. There's a commander-in-chief shade that's um, very, uh, it's like a grayish. And uh, so, in fact, I was very excited to see the first lady uh, in gray when, uh, you know, speaking at the uh, Democratic uh, yes. uh, convention But yeah the line is called The Forever Nude Collection by Mickey Taylor And so we're hoping to Bring it to retail uh, By the end of the year Oh great So so when, when they're ready um, or Will you be selling them online before bringing them to retail Or will you just wait until you bring them to retail I will, I will, um, we will start to share the news through social media Mm -hmm. and, and probably, uh, online through a specific retailer and then they'll be in store. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Well, we can't wait. I'm excited, excited about that one. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you. (laughs) Why do you think, speaking of that, because I hear exactly what you're saying about the, the different nude shades, um, why do you think, you know, I know we've come, you know, a long way with color. And, you know, I know there are a lot of brands, and there are a lot of brands out there that, you know, really don't cater to women of color. And that's their choice. If You know, maybe that's we're not their target market. You know, I can't really say what their reasons are. But why do you think there's – we always have – 
so many problems now that, you know, things have changed now. There's so much color out there. It's not like we can't find products anymore. You know, women of color can't find products. Why do you think now we're still having these issues, though, like something as simple as a nail polish, um, not finding shades for our skin tone or the right shades for our skin tone or even 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 the product lines that as far as makeup is concerned that have a wide range of color there's still sometimes an issue there with finding the right colors um, or shades for our skin tone why do you think that still exists well you know I ask myself that from time to time and I, I'm really surprised because sometimes I feel almost like in certain categories, we're the invisible women, which mm-hmm. makes no sense to me given how many billions of dollars that we spend on beauty. But, uh, you know, I find that, you know, behind closed doors, people are still kind of um, scratching their head about, you know, our needs and desires and trying to figure us out. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I remember uh, uh, several years ago a company had said that in terms of making really deep foundation shades like Espresso and Ebony or so forth, if you will, that they feared that we would be offended by seeing those dark shades in a bottle. And I was like, nothing could be further from the truth. We love our chocolatized skin tone. Right. Are you kidding me? But there's just so much like myth and mystery and around us and uh you know people trip the numbers they say well you know african americans come in some 30 some shades do we have to have 30 some shades and you know it it it, it is the the craziest thing sometimes but i think by and large and what i'm certainly trying to do it is a process of education and communication, mm-hmm. and I'm encouraging companies to really come down off the 90th floor, so to speak, and really get to know the market that you desire to serve. It's not that complicated. You just have to have an invested interest. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, how do you feel or what do you feel about social media's effect on the beauty business? I think it's huge. I think social mm-hmm. media is huge, and I think it, it only stands to grow. I mean, even if I look at um, certainly companies uh, who themselves are tweeting and Facebooking and what have you, and even hiring bloggers because bloggers um, also bring a point of view about brands, and so mm-hmm. even hiring bloggers to speak for them and to communicate with the consumer so that there's not this, uh, it gives it, I guess it humanizes it and it, and it gives it that uh, infotaining uh, aspect that has been mm-hmm. missing from print advertising, if you will, and certainly at the cosmetic counters. And also it really speaks to the way we live our lives and, and uh, social media is, is an integral part of you know, everyone's life. So it became really important to continue the conversation with women and particularly those that you're trying to reach through social media. Absolutely, absolutely. What are some of the changes that you, that you've noticed over the years um, in the beauty industry and particularly in regards to women of color? Well, I, 
you know, advertising is certainly opening up and, and, and getting far more exciting and relevant. You know, I love the bold ads that certainly CoverGirl is doing with Janelle Monet. Uh, uh, certainly what they've done with Queen Latifah. I love what L'Oreal is doing with Beyonce and certainly Estee Lauder with Joanne Smalls, uh, with Joan Smalls, rather. And um, so it is getting better. The language is getting better. It, it's it's not like they're having their com- the conversation amongst themselves. They're really talking to women in a way that uh, is beginning to resonate. So, uh, you know, in that respect, I do think that um, it's, it's, it's new and improved, if you will. Uh, is there room for growth? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Great room for growth. I, I just think, again, if I go back to the kind of dollars that, you know, African Americans, let alone African American women, spend, you know, if you look at how we account for 30% of all uh, sales in the shampoo area, you would think that, you know, every other television commercial or every other page in a magazine or even, you know, uh, messaging through social media would really be speaking to that. If you look at the number of uh, women who are now going from relaxed to natural hair, you would think that there would be far more relevant advertising that would help us make the transition and style it forward, not just protect our hair in its fragile state. Uh, You know, if you look at the makeup category, you know, there are still, um, you know, it's disappointing for a woman to go uh, to purchase makeup or look to purchase makeup and not be able to get the same shade of her foundation in different formulas. Maybe she doesn't want to wear cream makeup. Maybe that's a, she's not that person. Maybe she just wants a tinted moisturizer that looks like her only better. Uh, so, you know, and, and not only does she want that, she wants to see companies build equity, like sell it to her, go after her in advertising, hold up images that look just like her or like someone who could at least live next door to her. So it's, I think that, you know, there's still um, a great road ahead and, and hoping that companies will take that path. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, for those of you who are listening to the show, if you have questions, you can uh, join the conversation by calling 914-803-4399. Again, it's 914-803-4399, and just press the option to speak with the host. Now, there's an interesting conversation going on um, in the chat room, and it's about skincare, and you know, with uh, black women in skincare, you know, most people feel that we're still, you know, behind in um, matters of skincare, and when we're not really um, looking to educate ourselves on skincare, then how black women need to be educated more on skincare. What have you, what are your thoughts on that, Mickey? Like, what have you seen as you as you come across different women? Do you do you feel like we need more education where that's concerned, or do you feel like we're trying to get there? I, what I think that the challenge is, is there's a trust factor. If 
if said companies, beauty companies, aren't building equity with African-American women, for example, if you look at the majority of advertising, for example, they talk about aging and wrinkles and so forth. Well, look, we are of the mindset that black doesn't crack. So you already lost our attention. But if you talk to me more directly, and, and, and a plethora of companies, not just the Ambies of the world and the Cliniques of the world, if you talk to me about the things that concern me, such as hyperpigmentation, if you talk to me about lack of radiance, something that, you know, as an African-American woman I'm interested in, if you tell me how to keep my skin smooth and flawless or to defy the aging characteristics of my brown skin, not Caucasian skin, then I'm going to listen. Then I'm going to show an interest. But until that happens and happens in a clear and great way, no, it's, it's, it is going to seem that way. And it's not that we're not savvy. We're, we're using sun protection on a daily basis. It's not that we don't care. Uh, 81% of African American women state that moisturizing is a key term that increases their interest. Imagine how motivated they would be if you talk to them about the other things that concern them. If you look at the number of African-American women who are post-35 who are experiencing acne for the first time in their lives, and not only are they challenged by acne and and their self-esteem is challenged by this acne, but they can't Mm -hmm. use products that are aimed at teenagers. So where are the product lines that are aimed directly at them? that take into account that they can't use harsh products on their skin because of the melanin factor in their skin, and they will be left with dark marks. You know, so it it, it is really, um, it's just time for companies to be clear about us because we're clear about them and where they're coming up short. Right, yeah, so absolutely. It's not that, yeah, it's not that we're not interested, you know, Women write to me all the time. They want to know about ingredients. You know, they, they, on, when I'm on the road, their questions are very clear. They're very specific. But, you know, you first of all have to, again, build equity. You have to be the brand that they trust, and you certainly have to show a sincere interest. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. How do you believe Hollywood defines beauty, Mickey? Well, for women in the general market, uh, it does define beauty quite heavily. Uh, I think it presents a challenge to women in the general market. For African-American women, it doesn't define beauty. We don't live our lives vicariously through celebrities, but rather we celebrate those among us who are, quote, unquote, considered Hollywood, you know, we celebrate the beautiful brown, full-lipped, gorgeous Kerry Washington. We celebrate mm-hmm. the sassy, curvy Halle Berry. Uh, we celebrate, you know, a Latanya Richardson Jackson. You know, so it's 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 different for us. You know, it, it just it doesn't define who we are, but rather it affirms us to see us as Hollywood, if you will, however many years after Hattie McDaniel. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Commander and Sheik. Okay. What is it about uh, Michelle Obama's style that that inspires you, that you're, that you're um, fascinated with? Well, 
I think, first of all, Mrs. Obama's classic with the twist style, as I've defined it, is actually fascinating everyone. I think Mm -hmm. one of the things that really um, isn't so tangible that is a large part of the style is her clear-cut assurance about what works for her and what doesn't and how comfortable she is in her skin. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that that's the, the subliminal factor of admiration. Uh, I think the second thing is that what she wears is primarily accessible. You know, when she stepped out on the stage uh, uh, at the Democratic National Convention and Tracy and Tracy Reese, women can't wait for that dress to be in store. The Everly right. Pump that she wore by J. Crew, it is sitting in the store now, so you can have that pink suede pump. So it's in the nail polish that she wore. You know, it, they women crashed the site ordering the nail polish. So I think that that's another part of it that uh, what she wears and her point of view is that which is so accessible. I think also that um, women really love, you know, how she's developed this signature style that works for her, and she's so clear about it that she makes what I call those repeat performances and that she's the first first lady to wear clothing uh, again and again in the public eye. You know, if you look back in, in the halls of history and photography, you've never seen any first lady uh, wear a look again or again and again. But to Michelle Obama, a great dress is a great dress, and she will wear it again. And and who and and that's true for all of us. You know, mm-hmm. we're not we're not living red carpet lives. You know, yeah. where you wear something once and that's it. You know, she's she's like us. She's a real woman. She's on purpose. And and you know, clothes just um, she dresses to please herself, and she's very clear about what works for her. So I think those. You know, reality check, uh, that way of being is appealing to all of us. Yes. Yes, absolutely. What does it take um, for a woman to to uh, pull herself together to be very polished and pulled, you know, and pulled together, sort of like a Michelle Obama? Well, I think it comes, first of all, great style comes from within. Uh, mm-hmm. You And you really want to be determined uh, to master your style with distinction. That's something Michelle Obama does. She's commander-in-chief in her life, and, and, and each of us, that's, that's what I've done in my book, is I've asked, I'm asking each of us to be the commander-in-chief in our lives and telling us simply how to do it. Uh, she's developed a bankable wardrobe. I think that's another takeaway for real women, that you want to um, certainly develop a bankable wardrobe, a mileage-making pieces that you can rely on, that you look good in and feel great in every time, and they take you wherever you want to go in, in the way that you live your life. Uh, what's important is to establish your signature and to identify mm-hmm. your style. You know, Mrs. Obama's style is classic with a twist. You know, someone else's style might be romantic or just classic or a minimalist or you might be boho chic, but you really owe it to yourself to define what that is because until you do, you are just buying clothing and and never really touching upon that satisfaction that allows you to get dressed with a clear-cut assurance that you never, that you don't worry about how you look and what you're wearing. Right. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Do we have any more questions from the chat room? Well, one for me. I have one, actually. Did your mother or grandmother, when you were growing up, like give you any little tidbits or tips um, as far as beauty or fashion is concerned? You know, any little tips that you can share with us? Well, certainly we were encouraged to always make the effort. And, Mm. you know, I think because my mother was in the business, you know, she dressed us to the nines in the best that her money could buy. There was always a sense of occasion. So we not only got dressed for church uh, and, you know, kept our clothing in pristine order and laid them out the night before, but we got dressed for any and every occasion. We had to bring a certain sense of decorum to school, even though we wore uniforms. Our shoes had to be shined. Our, you know, mm-hmm. it, 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 so, so it established a sense of purpose, and it made me conclude many years later that style is not only about how you look, but it's the bravado in which you carry yourself. And, and how polished and pulled together you feel you ought to be. Yeah, it, it really is driven from the inside out uh, as opposed to the outside in. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That reminds me of um, when we were younger, my mother would always tell us, just make sure to keep yourself neat and clean. Make sure your clothes yes. are all neat, you know. It right. Just, it, 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 when you... When you get dressed now, you you think about that, you know. Even if yes. like you're wearing maybe the same thing, you know, for the fourth or fifth time, and maybe you know you may want something new, but you can't get it just yet, you know. You, right. you always remember that. As long as my clothes are neat, you know. Yes. Clean, mm-hmm. You know, like that's you said, right. Make the effort. That's make right. The effort. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, and and another thing, you know. Uh, we were we were always taught to buy uh, quality over quantity. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was another thing. And so you know, my mother was never big on you know owning a multiplicity of things uh, that just because they were affordable or you could get you know five for the cost of one good thing. Her her point of view was to buy the one good thing and take good care of it. Yes. Yeah. Nikki, over the years, um, while you were um, beauty and cover director at Essence, I'm sure, you know, loads of letters came in. And and, I'm, and I know that the magazine has gotten loads of letters, you know, based on um, different topics. But what's some of the things that women or even men have even written in to use in particular about the magazine? Well, uh, in ter- certainly aside from the letters that certainly of, of appreciation and the mm-hmm. magazine's celebration of black womanhood, if you will, and, you know, all shades, all shapes, all sizes, you know. In fact, I can remember early on Essence was the only magazine where I'd ever seen uh, a woman depicted that had a gap in her teeth or, you know, glorious natural hair or of all complexions and what have you. So aside from those letters uh, that really thanked us for the magazine that looks like us, uh, mm-hmm. they would, there would be letters of request for the celebrities that they wanted to see on the cover or for the beauty stories that they wanted us to cover. 
Mm-hmm. Nice. And how or how do you believe the readers or even some critics out there, how do you believe they compare Essence Magazine to other well-known magazines that may have not have been black magazines? Well, you know, Essence is home. Mm-hmm. Essence is like going home. Uh, other magazines, like if I look at it through a traveler's lens, other magazines are like going to other great countries, but there's no place like home. Right. And home is where you find yourself. And home is a lot of times where you discovered who you are. And, you know, that's why the slogan we have at Essence, it's where black women come first. And so there is nothing that could replace uh, Essence in black women's lives. I mean, in fact, you know, we've done studies on this that show that, you know, Essence Essence readers spend more time with Essence magazine than they do with any other magazine. And, and, And I, you know... I think that's because it's not that it's just a, a great read or you want to see what the makeup is like or the fashion. I mean, Essence talks to black women about every aspect of their lives, and so mm-hmm. that's what makes it a keeper. In fact, when you talk to a lot of our readers, they can tell you that, you know, when they started reading Essence and how they have every one, every magazine from that point <laughs> on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. How do you believe the magazine, um, or what kind of changes have the magazine made over the years um, since you were um, actively working with the magazine? Uh, Sharing more information. Every micro space in the magazine is share some sort of information. And certainly, uh, you know, we work hand-in-hand with, you know, Essence.com. So it's really, you know, our mission in the beginning was to inform, inspire, and simplify the lives of black women, and certainly we're doing that now to a far greater degree in the kinds of information that we're sharing, and uh, not only sharing through the magazine itself, but certainly through uh, Essence.com and our social media platforms. Now, there was a magazine, and I keep, can't remember the name, and it wasn't around long, but I thought that it was associated with Essence. Um, and I probably shouldn't have brought it up because I can't remember the name. Um, <laughs> oh, wow, and it was, okay, well, <laughs> that was a flop. I cannot remember. I just, it was are, you speaking of, uh, are you speaking of Slade? Suede, yes, and it was something with an S. Am I correct when I say that was affiliated with Essence? Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I really, I really liked that magazine. It wasn't around long, but um, but I, I really enjoyed it. What were they going after? A younger audience. Uh, you know, it's it's been such a long time since we debuted Suede, but in part a younger audience, uh, a different uh, point of view, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yes, mm-hmm. absolutely, okay. absolutely. It had a yeah. lot of street style in it. Uh, yeah. It had a lot of new innovators, and uh, so yes, it was uh, uh, it was skewed somewhat younger and had a had a slightly different point of view than than mm-hmm. yes. Mhm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I'm pretty sure it probably would have still had a lot of Essence followers. Um, oh, yeah. Even though the age yes. different was a little different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I really enjoyed yes. it for the, for the few issues I had. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Nice. Is there anything that you want to say um, to black women that you really haven't over the years? Oh, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I think uh, certainly, uh, you know, I'm on the road these days, particularly talking to us about mastering going from uh, where we are to where we desire to be. And it just, you know, the elders left us a script, but they could only take us but so far. So when it comes to style, and again, not just how we look, but really how we be and the things that we want to master, uh, it really requires us investing even more in ourselves and, and, you know, mastering the things that can throw us off course or the distractions or, you know, even the things that we should be demanding of others, uh, and not only individuals but companies as well and on the job and so forth. And so, yeah, those are things that I am talking to us about. Uh, I am looking to develop products that meet our needs and desires. You know, the nail collection was just the start, but I am looking to bring skincare and makeup uh, uh, to uh, retail for us and to just even look at the picture of wellness and our inner and outer beauty for sure. There are so, you know, I'm looking to bring more books to market. In fact, I have, uh, there are three uh, written pieces that, you know, I need to hurry up and put to bed if I could stay off airplanes long enough. <laughs> but, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Um, what is what is like your one biggest piece of beauty advice that you would share? Create time for self. It is critical that we all self nurture. Because if we become in the habit of self nurturing, that's going to impact everything from the beauty truths that we stand in, to the glowing skin that we desire, to our wellness, to how we express ourselves with makeup, to how we will make time for exercise and the practices that just call us to be, uh, that cause us to be the empowered women we are called, called to be. Yeah, time for self is critical. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I know Sharon Keener is on the line. I mean, not on the line, but listening out there. And she said she was going to get on the line, so I don't see her anywhere. So we're waiting for you, Sharon Keener, before we end the call. <laughs> and let me let me just say this, and, and Mickey, I just maybe would like to get you to just speak to, the, to this young lady, um, about this. There's a young lady in the chat room. Her name is Ebony. And um, I'm trying to remember how the conversation started about um, about her her body size and, and some of the clothes that she would like to wear. And she's um, complaining that she has a big stomach and, you know, things just don't fall, the clothes just don't fall on her properly. 
And so we're all in the chat room telling her, you know, you know, stop looking at other people and what they're wearing and, and, you know, and just find what works for her. And somebody suggested, you know, going to a seamstress or tailor and just finding, you know, clothes that work for her body type. And, and, you know, we're telling her to, you know, stop making excuses and just, you know, work on her, on her, the shape of her, you know, her body shape. And, and, you know, if she has to change her diet and change her diet, but can you speak to her for a sec, a few seconds about, um, this whole thing about, I guess, like image and and wanting to to you know we were talking. Somebody was mentioning the jet beauty and how we all can't be a jet beauty. And I, I just feel like she she needs some encouraging words. Um, just, Here, here's can you share something with her? Sure. The first thing I want to say uh, there is a section in my book. And it's called Taking Stock, How to Make That All-Important Nude Assessment. And being confident in your body requires both honesty and appreciation. And you shouldn't have one without the other. So if you, you know, I always say get naked in that mirror. And if you have any insecurities about any areas, ask yourself why. Analyze what it would take to make improvements and become comfortable in your own skin. You have to accept the wondrous vessel that you've been given by your creator while at the same time being a good steward over it. So don't. it's not about comparing yourself to anyone because if the creator thought enough to make you and only you, there's not another you in this entire universe, you are his unique divine original, then you can't have stress or disappointment over his creation. You have to recognize that you are more than a dress size or any other measurement that doesn't take into account your greatness in the eyes of God who made you in his image. And I think if we begin to appraise our bodies from that perspective, we're going to have a new internal conversation. Now, mm-hmm. in terms of belly fat, if you will, we know that belly fat is controlled by two things, diet and stress. Yes. So at the table, we have to reduce the offenders. We have to cut out the offenders, like white sugar, wheat. Studies are saying to us that wheat creates mm-hmm. belly fat. We do have to eat a lean more green, clean diet, and flush our systems with lots of water and not the beverages like caffeinated beverages and sodas and juices and things that take more than they give. Uh, In terms of stress, we do have to process stress instead of allowing it to process us because in women's bodies, there's a hormone known as cortisol, and cortisol creates belly fat. And so now the more she stresses about belly fat, the more belly fat she's going to have because she's increasing that hormone. So Mm. she's got to step back take the right assessment, analyze what it would take to get from where she is to where she wants to be. It sounds like a diet change. Uh, And I would rather say an eating plan for life as opposed to a diet, which is something that's temporary and she deserves better than that. It sounds like exercise has to be brought into the picture. 
Yes, uh, you were wise to advise her to get a great tailor or a seamstress because very few women can buy clothing off the rack and have it fit perfectly. So it's better for her to buy the size too big and have it tailored so that it fits properly and she's not stressing about how things fit. And certainly to even appreciate the dollars that she spends, don't shop in places where she's not affirmed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that Mm -hmm. thing about standing in the mirror and making that assessment is so true because it's something that I did for the first time probably maybe six months ago. I would just stand in the mirror naked and I would just look at myself until I I actually accepted what I saw. And then I said, not bad. You know, some days you just have to have those moments where you look in the mirror and say, oh, not bad for a certain age. Right. You know? Yeah, and and you have to keep it moving. We cannot afford to be paralyzed by things that we can't control nor things that we cannot control. Right. Hmm. That's right. Absolutely. Well, I want to bring on two quick callers before we let you go, Mickey. So hold on. Okay. okay. Sharantine, I'm going to get to you. I see that you're on the line. Hold hold on for me. And we're enjoying this, by the way, and the the chat room's really enjoying it. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) Hello. Hello. Hi. Yes. Hi, it's it's actually Ebony from the chat room. Hi, Hi Ebony. <laughs> Ebony. Okay, it's a young lady. I'm this is the young lady you're talking about. Call in. <laughs> I know I put you on the spot, but I had to. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about how everyone loves to get dressed, and I said, well, that's not so so much of a favorite oh, thing right. for me to do. Right, um, right. Yeah, because I did. Just recently I had, like, um, uh, like a transitional period in my life where I kind of looked at myself and said, "Oh boy, I really can't can't stand the way I look." I'm in um, the beauty industry, and so a lot of um, your you know people they judge you based on your appearance. You know what I mean? And I mm-hmm. felt like I kind of just like let my health, my skin looks was looking really horrible. I kind of let all that fall by the wayside because I had this attitude where. You know, I'm beautiful, I'm this and I'm that. And, um, I, you know, at that point I did accept myself. But the fact of the matter is I didn't look well and I wasn't very healthy. And it was starting to manifest through my skin. Um, and so I had, I had to look at myself. And I realized that when I looked at myself, I really only looked from maybe my my face up. I never really looked at my body because when I would look at pictures, I'm like, well, this doesn't look like me. <laughs> Who is that? That's that's not who I am because in my mind, I'm still this you know slim girl without this belly. But I I had like a reality check just recently because every store I went in, I I couldn't like get into anything. So I did start. I started CrossFitting, and um, which I love, by the way. And I think Michelle Obama also CrossFit. But I um and, and then I had to like change my diet, which honestly I really didn't know much about the foods that I was eating, like what foods are um, inflammatory foods and what foods cause certain certain um, disorders, so to speak. Um, so this is like a learning process because, you know, growing up in 
um, a Southern African American home, it's kind of like the health. Being health conscious wasn't like in the forefront. You know what I mean? Everybody get together, they have these huge meals, and they eat. <laughs> and that's kind of yeah. I had to like you know learn how to not eat <laughs> big portions and pick the right foods and stuff. You know, so <laughs> that's kind of like where I'm at. You know at this point where I'm trying to work towards getting to where I can look at myself and say, I, I actually look good. I, I, I like what I'm I'm looking at, you know? Mm-hmm. Great. That's great. It sounds like a step in the right direction. And just remember Absolutely. that mastering your health and wellness is, again, it's about appraising your vessel from an informed perspective. And like you said, uh, you're exercising smart options now, and that's going to move you from where you are to where you want to be. And as far as others' opinions, you know, don't stand in judgment of others. Be be determined to have your own last word. Right. That's what's important. Good point. Right. Thank you so much for that, Thank Ebony. You. Yes, Ebony. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I'd like to continue listening if you guys don't mind. Oh, oh sure. no, not a problem. Not a problem. And I'm going to bring Sharon Tina in really quickly. Hi. Hi. Hi, Hi, Sharon Tina. Hi, Miss Mickey. How are you? I'm fine. And you? Great. (laughs) So I just called to say thank you, thank you, thank you for bringing Versailles 73 to Philly. We don't get, like, we never get cool things in Philly. So this was, like, major to me. Um, oh I, just, I just thought it was phenomenal. I mean, I came both days just so I could see it twice, but a whole new set of friends. Like, y'all have to see this, you have to see it. So I just thought it was phenomenal and definitely a story that needed to be told, and I hope that everyone on the line gets a chance to see it because it's a great story and a part of our history. Oh, I'm so glad you feel that way and so glad that you came. And thank you for just sharing and and tweeting it up and celebrating (laughs) this great story. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Now, now, Mickey, um, is there a way that others around the country can see this? Right now, it is in in private screenings, and in some cases, it's at public screenings. For example, when we were in Philadelphia, we had a private screening, but we also had a public screening at Temple University. And uh, I believe that there's going to be a public screening at the Columbia College of Chicago uh, in October. So the best thing is to really stay tuned to, to visit uh, Versailles73.com and look at the site and uh, see where the film is going to be shown next. We certainly okay. hope that um, the film will be picked up and it will be coming to a theater near everyone, so to speak, before the year's end. Cool. Okay. Cool. Um, now, my last question, and you pretty much summed it all up in this whole interview tonight, but my last question to you, Mickey, is what is beauty to you? Beauty is really owning the truth of who you are. It is mastering your style and your purpose with distinction. And if you do that, it really covers everything, from the quality of your life to how you look to how well you self-nurture to even how you treat others and the kind of treatment you garner in return. And if you do that, you're certainly going to leave the world a more beautiful place. 
Amen to that. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really do appreciate you. Um, well, thank really you. I enjoyed every minute of it. It was just <laughs> fantastic. Just fantastic. Thank you so much. And we'll be looking out for this new collection of polishes and just um, looking forward to all the books that you're going to be writing. And <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be following you and just um, looking to see what's new with you. And um, we're just so appreciative of you coming on with us tonight. We thank you so much. A big thank you to Joseph for his help with this tonight. Um, well, thank you. I enjoyed every moment of beauty talk. It's something I never get tired of doing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. And um, thank you guys for listening tonight. We really appreciate it. And join us over on Facebook where we have a uh, chat. We'll talk about tonight's show. Um, and, again, thank you to Mickey. And continue, everyone, to be beautiful and blessed. Have a great night. Thank, thank you. you. Good night. Good night. Good night. Oh, so good.